We are really, really stoked to see Harbor New Uwanu launching back out. And uh, happy Father's Day to all of you dads. Also, thank you so much for all of you who volunteered and hosted our neighborhood so well last night. Got to meet a lot of folks right from the high rises right around us. So that was really, really exciting. And uh, if you came to the movie night and now it's your first time here at church, welcome. We are really glad you're here. And we're going to throw you right into the deep end of the pool because this morning we're talking about judgment. You ready for that? I don't think you're ready for that. We're talking about judgment. And I know that's something nobody likes, but Christians are really, really good at, right? Out of anybody in the world, Christians have the reputation of being the most judgy people around. And what we're going to see this morning is that there is definitely a place for judgment. It can be a good thing just not usually the way that Christians like us pull it off. Because we're really good at judging the world. We're really good at that, right, family? We're really good at bashing people out there when we post on social media, when we talk with friends or family. We're really good at judging our neighbors. We're just not so good at judging ourselves. We're not as good at that, seeing things in ourselves and in our tribe that really need to change. Jesus said in Matthew 7, it's like having a log in your eye and trying to go around and pick out specks in other people's eyes. Just think about the imagery there. Trying to go around picking out specks in people's eyes when you've got a log sticking out of your own eye. What's going to happen? You're going to knock people in the head with that log sticking out of your eye. And that's exactly what we do when we try and confront sin in the world and not in ourselves. Just keep knocking people in the head. So today... The Bible is going to tell us, through Paul, that Christians should focus on judging ourselves and let God worry about judging the world. That's what we're going to see today in 1 Corinthians. So if you got your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5. We've been making our way through this book over the last few months because this book has so much to say about so many things that we're dealing with right now in the world and in the church at large. And one of those big issues is hypocrisy. When we expect things out of other people that we don't expect out of ourselves. Christians are pretty good at that. So how do we overcome that? How do we move beyond that? How do we take the log out of our eye and start living with integrity? Well, Paul's going to tell us. But let's pray before we dig in. Father, thank you so much for that great time that we had together last night just celebrating your goodness along with our neighborhood friends. Thank you for the way that you give good things all the time. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would receive the goodness of your word, even if it's hard to hear sometimes, particularly for Christians like us who, who want to feel confident and secure in ourselves. When we come to some parts of your word, we realize we are nothing apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that we would see Jesus in a brand new way today so that we can celebrate Jesus in a new way today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to start right at the beginning, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 5.1 says this. Remember, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, It is reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and your arrogance. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? 
In other words, you've got a log sticking out of your eye and you can't even see it. Can't even see it, probably because of the culture that they were in. Remember, Corinth was the original sin city. Original. OG sin city. Everything that could happen, happened in Corinth. It was a hub for tourism and trade, which meant that Corinth was a hub for the sex trade. Prostitution was rampant in the city, particularly at the temples. The temples for the different gods, prostitution was part of the worship. And so the church in Corinth was surrounded by this. It was sexual immorality all around them, but the Corinthian church went even farther than the people around them. They're like, hey, I see your sin. I'm going to raise you. That's what the church said. To the point where the non-Christians in Corinth heard about what was happening in the church in Corinth, and even they were like, really? That's what they're doing in the church over there? Really? They were like, man, that is varsity-level immorality happening in that church. It wasn't even a debate. Everybody knew it was just wrong. Not like some of the things that we debate today. You know, I, I saw a debate online. For some reason, Apple News keeps feeding me these strange things. I saw this debate raging online about a mom who <laughs> took her toddler on the plane with her. I think this was just in the past week. And she let her toddler draw with erasable markers all over the seat in front of him and the wall of the plane, just draw all over. And then the mom erased it at the end of the flight. But people were scrapping online because some people are like, hey, you're training that kid in vandalism. That's what you're doing. And then other people are like, no, 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 no. You're just letting him find an outlet for his creativity. People are just going at it, debating this. And, and an issue like that, you can debate, right? You could, you could see different sides of that. Well, what Paul's talking about here, there's just no debate. There's no debate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Everybody knows that's wrong. Everybody. Now, we've got to be clear here. It's probably not the guy's mom. That, that's at least a little bit of a relief. It's probably his stepmom. That's probably what's going on here. But still, even in Corinth, that would have been against the law. Because even in Corinth, they still valued family, and this isn't good for the family. Everybody agrees this is wrong, but still the Corinthian church isn't doing anything about it. Why is that? You're not doing anything. Well, probably because the guy is rich and powerful. Probably. They're like, hey, this guy's got a lot of money to give, a lot of influence to spread. Let's just not make any waves. They're like, hey, didn't Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers? Let's just, let's just keep things peaceful, copacetic. Let, let's, let, let's not let, let anything be ruffled here. They're not dealing with it because they, they value tranquility, but then also because they value liberty. The church has heard Paul tell them that they are free in Christ, and so they're like, oh, all right, free means free. We're free from rules, regulations. We're free to do what we want and let other people do what they want. Even when they break rules that everybody in the world agrees on. Well, that's not helping anybody. And that's why Paul says the church should be filled with grief. Grief over, over the damage that this guy is doing to his family. The damage that he's doing to the church. The damage that he's doing to God's name. The damage that he's doing to himself. Look what Paul says in verse 3. Even though I'm absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, 
hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So that his spirit may be saved. This is one of those verses that makes people really nervous. Hand this guy over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. What does that even mean? Well, what Paul means is the destruction of fleshly sinful nature inside. Because in Christ, there is grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. And there's not a lot of love and grace and forgiveness and mercy in the world. You know that. You've experienced that. If you work in a competitive job, try making a mistake. Just one mistake. See how much grace you get. People see that and they're like, oh, it's time to pounce. Time to take this guy down. Or if you work in a union job, try working harder than everybody else to get ahead. Try doing that. See how much grace you get for that. People are like, making us look bad. Can't do that. Try posting something online that doesn't align with our culture's values. See how much grace you get there. People are just like, nope, cancel. One and done, you're canceled. There's not much grace and mercy and forgiveness in the world. And so sometimes we need to be cut off a little bit from God's grace so that we realize how much we've been taking advantage of God's grace. So that we realize how much we've been using God's grace as a license to sin. Because that's what's happening in the Corinthian church. They just don't see it. They're, they're tolerating sexual immorality that isn't even tolerated among the Gentiles. And Paul says they're proud of it. They're, they're proud of how tolerant they are. And so Paul says to that, ooh, you, you got to be careful that you're not more tolerant than God. So here's how we deal with the log in our eye. Here's how we live with integrity. Number one, don't tolerate more than God. Make sure you don't tolerate more than God. Don't try to be more accepting than God. Don't try to be more loving than God. Don't try and be more forgiving than God. Because sin is serious. And Paul's using a Greek word that covers all kinds of sexual sin here because he knows how our minds work. He knows that in our thinking, if there's something that isn't specifically prohibited in the Bible, it must be okay. That's how we will. And that's why porn usage is through the roof, according to a recent study, particularly among teens and young adults. Among young men who attend church at least once a month, 41% seek out porn at least once a month. 13% of Christian young women seek it out at least once a month. And people are like, well, the Bible doesn't talk about it. Yeah, but the Bible talks about lust. The Bible talks about sex outside of marriage and still... 46% of Christians who attend church at least once a month say that sex between unmarried adults is sometimes or often acceptable. In our culture, the Christian culture of this day, we are the Corinthians. We tolerate more than God does. We, we think we're more tolerant than God. And maybe you've seen that even in your own life and, and you're trying to battle against that but you just keep losing the war well, we're here to help. Last year, we launched the Harbor Biblical Counseling Center. And so we've got a team of trained, assessed, certified counselors who are ready to come alongside you and help you win the war by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You can request an appointment on our website, harborhonolulu.org. Just look for the Harbor Biblical Counseling Center. We want to help. Because it's time for us to take the log out of our eye. We're really good at condemning sin out there, but we're really bad at dealing with it in here. So it's time to stop tolerating sin in ourselves and in the church. And I know we all want to be loving and kind. That's a great value. The problem is we've accepted our culture's definition of love. And our culture says love equals complete acceptance and affirmation even in something that is wrong. But when we let brothers and sisters continue in sin, that's not loving and kind. That's unloving and unkind because they're not living the free and and fulfilling life that they could be. So the most loving thing that we can do is help them see that. Paul's given us some really good practical ways to come alongside someone. He wrote this in Galatians 6. Look at what he said. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that is like a YouTube how-to video on how to come alongside someone in love, right? Every step of that is so important. Like he says, brothers and sisters. So first of all, you got to be committed to that person, like family. We're family. I'm committed to you. I love you, like a brother, like a sister. He says, you got to be spiritual to do this. What that means is, you got to be depending on the Spirit's power, not your own power, because we got to have the Spirit's power to overcome our insecurity. None of us want to be doing this, right? None of us want to take that awkward step of of coming alongside someone like this. So we need the Spirit to empower us. He says our goal is to restore that person, restore them to Christ, not just to make them look more like us. That's not the goal. He says we got to have a gentle spirit, not arrogant, not prideful, not condemning, He says, we got to watch out for ourselves. Why? Because we're going to be tempted to get defensive when they get defensive. And they will get defensive. All of us get defensive in these kinds of conversations. So that's why he says, carry one another's burdens. We got to be ready to be committed to each other over the long haul. Carry each other's burdens for the long journey. Because change doesn't happen overnight. It never does. It's going to take months, maybe years of love and encouragement to see change happen. So let's say you've talked to this brother or sister for a while and they just won't listen to you. Well, in that case, Jesus says in Matthew 18, try taking a couple more people along with you, a couple people from your community group. Come alongside that person, encourage them along with you. What if they won't listen to a couple more people? Then Jesus says, bring the church in, talk to the elders. That's what Paul's talking about here. What we're talking about here is church discipline. That's the the label that we put on this, church discipline. And I know that nobody wants to be disciplined. Nobody likes that, at least not disciplined by other people. We're all about self-discipline. We love that. I'll discipline myself to eat clean. I'll discipline myself to work out. I'll discipline myself to, 
to clear out my email inbox and to check all the boxes on my reminders app. I'll discipline myself so, so I don't really need your discipline. That's what we all think down deep, right? But that's just not true. It's just not true. The only time that self-discipline works is when you can actually see what needs to be disciplined in yourself. And you can't see everything about yourself. None of us can. And so that's why we need each other. We need to be disciplined by our parents. We need to be disciplined by our spouses. We need to be disciplined by our friends. We need that. Sometimes we need to be disciplined by community groups or by a church. Sometimes we need that. And that's always, in every case, going to be the most helpful, hopeful, loving thing possible. Because when we don't do that, then sin starts to spread really quick. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. Verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Yeah, boasting about being more tolerant than God, that's not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven is just an old-timey way of saying yeast. And some of you, like during lockdown, became bakers. You got to experience for the first time the magic of yeast, how just a little pinch will go through a whole lump of dough and make it rise really quick. You saw the effects that can happen from a little bit of yeast. When you're baking, it's great. When it's sin, it's not so great. It spreads quickly. It'll spread in a family, in a church, in a community. And we're not just talking about sexual sin here, not just the obvious sins. We're also talking about heart-level sins, pride, arrogance, envy, greed. That's what Paul says down in verse 9. Look at what he says. Skip down to verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, and I didn't mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or verbally abusive, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside. God judges outsiders. Remove the evil person from among you. He's listing all of these different sins, and he's saying they're all just as dangerous as sexual immorality. He's equating them. Greed, idolatry, abuse, drunkenness, swindling. These are all logs that are just as big when they're sticking out of our eye. But Paul's saying that there's a big difference in the way that we deal with these things in the church and in the world. We gotta deal with the logs in our own eyes, ourselves and in our church, but we gotta let God deal with the logs in the world's eyes. He says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Family, the problem is we get that reversed, don't we? We get that reversed. And so how do we live with integrity? Don't tolerate more than God, but then number two, at the same time, don't separate more than God. Yeah, don't try and be more accepting than God, but at the same time, don't try to be more holy and, and set apart than God. Like, hey, Jesus hung out with sinners and prostitutes, but I don't do that. I don't do that. 
Jesus hosted parties with really shady businessmen, like owners of illegal gaming establishments, like that kind, but I don't do that. I don't hang out with those kinds of people. Paul's like, well, whoever told you to do that? Nobody ever told you to do that. We are called to go into the world. We're called to go and love the world, go and bless the world, go and serve the world. Family, we are not called to go and purify the world. That's never a calling that God has given us. We're not called to go and try and make the world live like Christians when they're not. I know Christians love to do that probably because we don't really like church discipline, and so we've substituted world discipline instead. We don't want to deal with it in here, so we'll condemn what's out there instead. Try and discipline the world to make it conform to Scripture. But here's the thing. If there's people who don't follow Jesus, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that they don't live like Jesus. We shouldn't be shocked by that. No. Like Paul said, what have I to do with judging outsiders? God judges outsiders. God judges. And that verse right there, that tells you everything you need to know about how Christians should respond during a month like this, during Pride Month. Every June, a lot of Christians get really confused about how we respond and, 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 and act when, when the whole world is celebrating immorality. Well, what Paul says is that it's not our job to try and force the world to conform to our morality. That's not our job. I know some Christians feel led to boycott companies that celebrate sexual immorality, and, and that's between you and God. That's a matter of conscience, but I would just humbly encourage you to be consistent in how you approach those kinds of issues. If you feel led to boycott companies that, sexual, that, that celebrate sexually immoral people, then you should probably be consistent and also boycott companies that celebrate the greedy, the idolaters, the swindlers. In other words, all the companies that celebrate Black Friday. How many companies would that be? We, we got to be consistent in our approach. And... And the most consistent way that we can approach things is to trust God to be judge. Let God judge the world. Now, here's the thing. I know it's hard to know how to navigate that, especially when the world is changing all the time. Christians get really confused. And so that's why we're planning a seminar next month called The Gospel and LGBTQ. Because June every year, Christians get really confused we hear a lot of questions, and so all five harbor congregations are coming together. We usually do a quarterly talk story Tuesday. We're going to make it a Saturday instead this time, and all the harbor congregations are coming together, and so you'll hear from all five harbor pastors about what the Bible has to say about some of these confusing questions that Christians have. Questions like, does God make people gay? Is male and female difference really necessary for marriage? Uh, how many genders are there? Should we use people's preferred pronouns? The Bible has things to say about those things, and you might be surprised by what the Bible has to say. But this seminar, it's not going to be about positions as much as it will be about people. We're going to hear some biblical principles, but primarily we're going to be hearing about how to live out biblical principles in the context of loving relationships. 
Because we can't tolerate more than God, but at the same time, we cannot separate more than God. We've got to do both of those things at the same time. And I know how hard that is. I know it seems impossible to do both of those things at the same time. So how are we going to do that? How's that going to happen? Well, go back to the verse that we skipped. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here's the secret right there. Here's how you don't tolerate more than God or separate more than God. Number three, don't celebrate less than God. God is a God of celebration. We can't celebrate less than him. Our boy Paul said it, let us celebrate the festival. We gotta celebrate the festival. Maybe you're like, okay, Paul, well, what festival is that? Well, Paul told you, the Passover festival. Maybe you're like, well, wait, 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 wait. Uh, Passover festival? I, I thought this is a Christian church. Are, are we becoming Jewish now? And Paul's like, kind of, yeah. Because 3,500 years ago, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They were suffering under oppression, not only from their slave masters, but also from themselves, themselves. Because the Israelites were starting to become like the Egyptians. They were starting to oppress each other. And so God had to rescue them from all of that. And how did he do that? How did he rescue them? He sent plagues. Nine plagues that were just kind of the preview leading up to the full and final plague where he sent an angel of death to kill the firstborn son of every family in Egypt. And he didn't discriminate. Every family in Egypt, whether they were Egyptian or Israelites. The only way that they could be saved from that was to smear the blood of a sacrifice across their doorpost. Then the destroyer would pass over their house. They would be saved. It was the blood of a substitute that would save them from death. And now, 3,500 years ago, it's the blood of the ultimate substitute that saves us from eternal death. We're oppressed by the sin of the world and the sin in ourselves, but we're saved by the ultimate sacrifice. Like Paul said, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so let us therefore celebrate the festival. We're celebrating our Passover family that was made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And so when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are passed over by the judgment of God. You're set free from your slavery to sin. And that is the only path to healing and change and growth. That's how you live with integrity. Celebrate what you've been given through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 5, sexual immorality and impurity and greed shouldn't even be heard of among you. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Giving thanks. Because Paul knows the reason why we are impure, immoral, greedy is because we think we deserve certain things in life and we think God isn't 
giving them to us. We're unthankful. We think we deserve sex, and so we seize it on our own terms. We think we deserve comfort and security, and so we grab stuff. We get greedy and, and go look for things that will make us secure and comfortable in life. We're not thankful for what God's already given us. And so the path to integrity is to celebrate what you have in Jesus Christ. Celebrate your new identity. The fact that you're a child of the king. You're a new creation. Celebrate your new security. The fact that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed, protected. God's never going to stop loving you, blessing you, forgiving you, protecting you. Celebrate your new victory. Christ conquered your sin and your shame at the cross. So like we just sang, leave your shame at the door. It ain't welcome anymore. Not here. You're in the Father's house. You're under his grace. And you're also part of a new community. You can celebrate that. You have a new family of brothers and sisters who are saved and rescued just like you. And that's what we celebrate every week when we take communion. That's what we're celebrating. It's the fact that we're a bunch of beggars in an alley. But we've found this five-star chef at this restaurant, and he just keeps sneaking his best dishes out the back door every night. And so all of us just gather around that back door, receiving what this incredible chef offers every day. We're brought together by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so when we take communion in a few minutes, let's celebrate that together. Celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. Celebrate that in communion today. Celebrate that with your family tonight. Celebrate that all week long because that is the path to new life. That is the path to new growth. That is the path to new integrity, fulfillment, freedom in life. Celebrate who Jesus is. Celebrate what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Father, we've got no other option but to celebrate. No other choice but to celebrate. Because we were sinners, but we've been set free. Beggars, but we've been fed with an incredible, epic feast. Thank you for all that we have in Jesus Christ. If there's someone here who's not yet received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus by allowing him to become their savior and king, I pray that they would just reach out and receive his forgiveness now so that they can experience new life, new identity, new security, new freedom, new community, all because of Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate Jesus today and all week long, all our lives long. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.